the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Better Life with Dr. Mary Ann Pinkston. Join Dr. Pinkston today as she teaches you how an integrative approach to health, combining holistic and contemporary medical information, can lead you to The Better Life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Mary Ann Pinkston. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Marianne Pinkston, with The Better Life with Dr. Pinkston. I am recording today one of probably going to be my favorite shows because I have a fantastic guest on today, somebody I've uh, hoped to get on for quite some time, and this is Dr. Andrew Heyman, who has accomplished a significant amount of study and research in the area of biotoxin illness and the SEERS, or the Chronic Inflammatory Response Syndrome, which... Most patients probably don't know it by name, but this is an issue that many people know because they feel terrible and go to see their physicians and really don't understand or know what is wrong with them. And a lot of physicians don't know and understand this illness as well. But Dr. Heyman is going to go over this with us this morning and explain. I think this is going to bring some clarity to a lot of patients' lives. But first, you know, it's going to take me all morning to go through this uh, uh, this doc's uh, CV because he has accomplished so much. And I can tell you, he has taught me everything I know about the immune system and uh, is medical director of integrative medicine at George Washington University, also a director of the academic affairs at A4M, which is the group that I have been so involved with and all of you know very well, the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, uh, chief uh, medical officer for Metabolic Code, which we've talked a lot about and works with uh, Jim Laval, and uh, Metabolic Code is is a uh, has been something we've mentioned many, many times, uh, but definitely the world expert in biotoxin illness and chronic inflammatory response syndrome. So with no further ado, Dr. Heyman, good morning. Thank you. Welcome in. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I am so happy to have you. So, you know, in the the world of inflammatory illnesses, I think I've looked over probably the last 10 years of my life and have lived with a significant illness. Rheumatoid arthritis is what we call it, but I know that there's so much more to that. My daughter is ill, my son is ill, and this is what has led me in integrative medicine to take a a dive into, you know, the immune system and how it can be hit so hard with something that we just don't know and don't understand. But this is something you've taken on now and understand quite thoroughly. And so give us an idea of what uh, chronic inflammatory response syndrome is. Uh, sure. And and certainly thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about what I would consider an, an orphan illness. And that is to say something that's been not only overlooked, but probably one of the greatest failures of primary care and public health. And that is to say the contribution of our living spaces towards uh, our individual and collective health. And I think of that notion of a, of a water damaged building or an environment that's making us sick as, a, as another vital sign 
but it's a vital sign that's missing. Right. And it's something that I think um, really any frontline provider should have some knowledge of because the illness is not only uh, common, um, but it's far reaching in terms of its effects on the individual, uh, far more than I ever anticipated when I first started looking at the disease process you know, many years ago. Yeah. And I think one place to begin that sort of sets the narrative is to um, understand that the reason why this has been overlooked and to sort of dovetail with your notion of the immune system is because it took our research group a long time to identify the part of the immune system that was being ignited or triggered uh, by these sorts of exposures. And in conventional medicine, we talk a lot about um, autoimmune diseases and right. cancer and general inflammatory disorders related to heart disease and stroke and uh, cardiometabolic dis uh, diseases. Mm -hmm. uh, but we didn't really have a model for how to understand what this group of um, illnesses were. And there were two pieces that I think are really important to understand. The first is that it starts with a microbial event. It starts with a exposure to some sort of organism or a fragment of an organism mm -hmm. uh, that the person starts to react to. Most of the time, most of the time, it's from a water damaged building or a building that's full of sort of abnormal microbial growth. Right. But sometimes the inflammation can be generated from other types of microbial exposures. Uh, in fact, it's very common for algae blooms to instigate this inflammatory process. Red tide in Florida, Lake Apopka, for example, is a, is a classic example. Uh, Fisteria blooms in the Chesapeake Bay, uh, another common example of people getting sick. Even COVID long haulers mm -hmm. were beginning to believe it's this category. It's just another microbe triggering this sort of long-term inflammatory event uh, that establishes itself in the individual. Yeah. And then that other piece is, well, where does this inflammation come from? It comes from what we call the innate immune system. And they're really two, two arms or two components to the immune response. There's the innate, and then there's the adaptive. The innate is meant to be that early reaction to an immune threat. It generates a large amount of inflammation throughout the body, but at some point, it's meant to transition to the more mature, sophisticated, and targeted side of the immune system, which is the adaptive. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're able to generate antibodies and more specific T-cell responses. But that bridge is broken in this particular patient population. What happens is they have an event, they trigger their innate immune system, they blow up into this inflammation, but it's very hard for their immune systems to transition to that more sophisticated side mm -hmm. of the response. So they remain stuck in this sort of perpetual fire. Right. And this fire literally starts to burn down the body. And you know, this is something that we never fully appreciated, but it's actually one of the more insidious components of the illness is that once this fire is established, once the inflammation starts, particularly in a vulnerable population due to some genetics, they will have a hard time turning it off. That the fire will continue even if you get out of the mold even if you stop swimming in the algae, right. even if your COVID goes away, even if you treat your Lyme, there's this sort of irreducible nugget. It's about 20% of the population mm -hmm. that will continue to have symptoms, continue to have inflammation, even if the original trigger is gone. So those are some of the basic elements of, of sort of the architecture of SIRS. And then we've spent you know, the last 20 years trying to figure out 
uh, some of the details and nuances of what's entailed symptom-wise and, and pathophysiologically. And then more recently, and I think very uh, on an exciting level, is our breakthrough in our genomics research and our identification of how different genes are turning on and off in this disease process, which helps us to identify if the illness is present, but also what to do about it. Exactly. And that's where I have said, not only to you, but many people, I feel like you are going to win the Nobel Peace Prize on this one. This is absolutely enormous. And the people who sit down in front of me and, you know, tell me how they feel and how sick they are, you know, many have thought, well, it's something just autoimmune. It's, you know, something I just got from my, you know, family. And, and you know, the depth of this issue, when you say that the body, you know, the inflammation is just turned on, the body, you know, sets itself on fire or whatever it's exposed to sets itself on fire. And then the horse is out of the gate. And the inflammation just, you know, continues and it just envelops the entire body. You know, people have very, not only do they just feel ill, but they have a significant inability to just live their life and get up and do the things that they need to do. The fatigue, the brain fog, the, you know, the pain that they're in, uh, the, you know, the swelling that, you know, there's so many different things. And a lot of times I, I know patients to go to their physician and their physician try to explain this by, you know, some simple, uh, you know, simple event going on that, you know, we'll just give you an antibiotic or we'll give you, you know, something to, you know, kind of mask an anti-inflammatory of sorts. But the problem that it, that it is and how deep it goes and how long these patients are affected, it's, it's so, it's so complex. And so whenever you have, you know, patients who are in front of you like this, how do, how does somebody come to get, you know, get a hold of their immune system and try to treat this? I mean, you've spent hours lecturing on slide after slide of, of therapies and things, but, you know, with, without much knowledge in the, in the medical field here and, uh, you know, all over uh, the United States, how does a patient get their doctor to even understand or believe what they are, are mm. you know, feeling and going through? Yeah. You know, it's really hard because um, in sort of standard medicine, we don't have a language uh, for this illness. And unfortunately, the symptoms are so common that there's sort of this false sense that the practitioner, you know, knows what's going on uh, with the patient and they don't really need to look any further. Um, as you say, sort of the hallmark of this is a, is fatigue. So we call this a fatiguing illness. And it's striking to me. You know, I always ask every patient of mine, and I, I joke how boring these questions are, but they're really valuable. And I always make them judge on a scale of 1 to 10. Mm-hmm. If 1 is minimal energy and 10 is perfect energy, on average, where are your energy levels at? And when I see patients initially, there are 2 right. or 3 or 4. Some are bed bound. Right. You know, that that's how... Uh, debilitating this illness can be, yes. but it doesn't, you know, stop there because we also see the cognitive impairment, mm-hmm. the memory loss and word finding difficulties and brain fog. We see an enormous contribution to uh, mood instability. Yeah. So anxiety, depression, panic attacks, obsessions and compulsions, difficulty right. sleeping at night, mind racing. And in addition to that, we also see pain syndrome. So we see headaches and 
physical aches and pains and myalgias and that, that all can be quite debilitating. But one of the things that I've always found pretty profound about this illness is its impact on the metabolism mm -hmm. and the fact that as the body succumbs to this inflammation and these symptoms begin to build one on the other, the sort of sluggishness that appears in metabolism is almost ubiquitous, where we see people gaining 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds mm -hmm. that they can't get off. Right. Their blood sugar is starting to climb, right. their thyroid is affected, their reproductive hormones are affected, and it ends up being this multi-headed hydra of symptoms and complaints and abnormal right. physiology. And you sort of question yourself saying, how could one illness right. cause so many different problems mm -hmm. in one person? In modern medicine, we don't have a model for that. You know, you, you give a drug for depression and you give a drug for your headache and you, you give a drug for aches and pains and a drug for your irritable bowel and so on and so forth. But we never try and find a cohesive model and say, maybe all those things are connected. And for me as a family physician, you know, I want to go back and apologize to all those patients that I saw mm. where, you know, I didn't recognize that this is what I was looking at. And quite frankly, when I started, you know, committed, to, committing to research right. and running the uh, evaluative markers, you do begin to question yourself because so many of your patients appear to have this right. and you think it's not possible, right? right? It's just not possible that all Absolutely. these people with all these different complaints all have the same thing. Right. Over time, you realize that's true. Yeah. And so there are lots of barriers to try and convince sort of, quote, conventional medicine mm -hmm. uh, of this illness. But in fact, it's not unique to uh, this particular problem. There's a whole area um, that, that's been identified called translational medicine. And that's essentially the backlog of all of the good science, all of the good research, all of the breakthroughs around the world that are not finding the light of day because there's just too much. Right. And where does that educational moment happen for a particular practitioner? Is it medical school? Is it residency? Is it a fellowship? Is it a, a, a journal article? Sure. Um, you know, it's very hard to change the Titanic of medicine in a new direction, even when you have something as valuable Absolutely. as I think what this illness is. Absolutely. And so I really encourage my patients to be not only advocates, but I give them research studies. I give them copies of my textbook. Uh, I give them copies of, of anything they need to engage with their other practitioners to show that there's a strong evidence base. It's been built over two decades. Right. It involves everything from proteomics and brain imaging studies uh, to uh, transcriptomics and, and all sorts of uh, modeling that we've done to show this is a single entity uh, that is relatively complicated, but it's real and common. Sometimes the practitioner comes around and sometimes they're still fixed. Absolutely. You know, they just really have a, almost a belief system and sort of their view of the world. Right. And it's one of these moments where you say, you know, don't don't confuse me with the facts. I know what I know. Right. Um, but the more of us that are out there together, and I really talk about my patients and myself and my colleagues as a community, a single voice trying to change the narrative yeah. on this subject, because it doesn't just lead to fatigue. The future for these patients can be dementia. Yeah. It can be heart disease. Yeah. It can be diabetes. It can be thyroid disorders. It can be irritable bowel. I mean, there's all sorts of real chronic illnesses that arise 
out of this nexus of inflammation. And I'm very sort of, you can tell, passionate Mm -hmm. about, you know, trying to find a platform and spread the word, you know, wherever I can in my academic circles and my teaching circles and writing uh, to say, hey, wait a minute, we got to stop here because the most common thing that that generates this illness is the spaces we live in. And, you know, we don't usually take that into consideration uh, when people don't feel well. And yet it's so it's so obvious. I mean, how did we miss this? You know, how did we miss that our houses are making us sick? Exactly. And yet it's it's really common. Yeah. It's really common. You know, it took a, you're talking about, you know, practitioners and how they come to, you know, understand and find this. I think I had to just get sick. I mean, it's not a, a lack of, you know, under, wanting to understand people or know more about science or, you know, get into a, a deeper issue and, and expose something that really needs, you know, exposure and, and treatment. But I just had to really get sick in order to finally start looking for, uh, you know, the answers. And I'm lucky I get to, you know, I get to fly across the United States and, and see great, you know, great other practitioners and, and scientific minds, you know, who've learned this and discussed it. And I get to do, I know where to go for the research. I know how to do all this. There's so many people who don't and don't have a voice and definitely, you know, feel like one of very, very few just here in South Texas, even, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to try to bring this to light. So I'm always very thankful for, you know, you and your group and, and everybody who is really, really trying to bring this to a platform. Hence the reason I wanted to, to bring you on today so that people could understand. It would probably take us 20 shows to get through it too, you know, just to even, I mean, we're just trying yeah. to understand it and define it, you know, for now. Um, but we're going to have to take a short break. I, I told you this was the fastest 18 minutes in the world. Mm-hmm. So we're going to come back on the other side and try to wrap up this very difficult topic. I do want to give uh, everybody an idea, though, that you can go to drpbetterlife.com. That is where the uh, show is for the, all the links for YouTube and all the platforms, iTunes, you know, Spotify, Heart, uh, Radio, all of that. But I'm going to have a ton of information uh, after the show airs here on Dr. Heyman and and uh, all of the information that you need to try to look into this illness. We'll be back on the other side here in just a few minutes. Thank you. Fatty liver is linked to two different situations, alcohol and diabetes or obesity. In both cases, patients can have no symptoms. In the United States and in particular, Texas, the most common cause of liver disease in general is non-alcoholic fatty liver. Again, associated with overweight, obesity, and or diabetes. Additional risk factors include high cholesterol, high blood pressure, Hispanic ethnicity, and postmenopausal status. At Pinnacle Clinical Research, we offer a quick, non-invasive, ultrasound-based screening assessment called FibroScan. This test is done at no cost to you, and we do not take insurance. The test will measure the fat and stiffness in your liver and state your risk and development of fatty liver disease. You will meet with a provider immediately following your scan to go over your results. If you're interested in getting more information on your liver health, please call 210-982-0320 and schedule your FibroScan today. We are conveniently located in the Medical Center at 5109 Medical Drive. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining in A Better Life with Dr. Pinkston. I'm Dr. Marianne Pinkston, and I am here with Dr. Andrew Heyman, who has taught me everything I know about this incredibly complex uh, disease. And as we have gone over the last 20 minutes of just trying to define this disease, I realize that there's no way to get all of the, this great information in. But I think that, uh, Dr. Heyman, if you could talk a little bit about 
how this disease comes to fruition for people. Everybody is very focused on Lyme disease and on mold mm-hmm. these days, and we are learning yeah. there's more to the story. So I kind of want to pull yeah. people away from that idea a bit. Yeah. Well, you know, there were two things that I think sort of drove that conversation for us. One is it was very common for patients that were presenting to have already been told or have a suspicion mm-hmm. that they have Lyme disease or an old exposure. Sure. Um, but how do we know that for certain? You know, we know that testing for Lyme isn't all that reliable. And and so, too, is actually for mold. So right. how do we dissect that issue? And, and the findings ended up being, uh, quite frankly, extremely surprising. So we opened a research lab in 2015, and we, we were able to ask the question, what genes are turning on and off in the setting of this illness? Now, that's sort of Star Trek, right? That That's right. medicine 10 years from now, which right. is to say measuring patterns of gene expression. Yeah. And UCLA and Johns Hopkins came to the rescue in 2017. They were doing the same research. They found the four genes that turn on when a person is fighting Lyme disease. They also showed six different genes turn on when the Lyme is properly treated. Hmm. And around the same time, it was us and actually University of Michigan and a few other places that found genes that turn on for mold exposure. And this led us into a whole new world, which is to say we had a lot more confidence in terms of what was making people sick. But in our data sets, as we were running these um, omics tests, essentially these Mm -hmm. genomic tests on patients, what we ultimately found was uh, surprising. We knew most of the patients, about 80% of them, the reason they were getting sick was from a water damaged building. Mm -hmm. But within that group, the assumption that it was mold, Mm -hmm. we were wrong. And what we found is that if you have a building that's contaminated uh, or has what we call amplified microbial growth, Mm -hmm. it's a mixture of microbes. It's not just mold. It's bacteria, it's viruses, it's all sorts of other microbes and organisms that can be present. Really, quite frankly, no different than our digestive tract, that there's a microbiome to the house in the way that there is one for the gut. And what we saw was that when there was an overgrowth of one type of organism or another, we could see that in reaction in terms of the patterns of gene expression. But what was really surprising in our last data set of 1,500 research subjects, only 7% of them were showing reactions to mold based on gene expression. That was a very small number. We Mm -hmm. thought it would be much bigger. Yep. It turns out 42% were actually reacting to a different microbe altogether. In fact, it was a bacteria. And it has a funny sounding name called actinomyces. Mm -hmm. And this has been established now and sort of cemented in our research in a way that we never expected. And so, you know, when when we look back on all of our diagnostics, Lyme is a very tiny portion that I think a lot of people are being told they have Lyme disease when they don't. In addition to that, now they're being told they have mold when they don't, but they're getting closer to the right idea that they are reacting to their home. It turns out to a different bug. And this has clinical meaning. It's not just sort of pointy headed academics. It turns out the treatments are different. They're different for the patient if right. they're reacting to the bacteria versus mold. Right. There are also different remediation strategies for the right. home between the bacteria and mold. Uh, and so we have to be really careful about, you know, what is really driving this illness. And the omics for us has been an enormous breakthrough. Yes. You know, I really couldn't do what I do now without right. being able to take the deep dive right. and to dissect among those. And I'm glad you brought this up because this is really the big conundrum for a lot of practitioners. Sure. Is it Lyme? Is it mold? Is it something else? Right. And, you know, here our research group is saying, hey, wait a minute, 
it, it's something else altogether that you guys have never heard of before, right. but it turns out it's the most common culprit. Right. So, you know, I, I would say if you think you're in this category, it's usually a living space, mm-hmm. uh, but be open-minded to the notion that it could be some microbes that you uh, had not heard of before. Right. You know, I think that's the big breakthrough that, yeah. that we've seen in, in our research. Absolutely. It is a big breakthrough. And so, you know, the ability to hunt this down and find it is difficult enough. Insurances don't cover, you know, a lot of uh, physicians don't really understand or know it. it. It is very difficult for people, but thank God yeah. somebody's on it. Thank God you guys <laughs> are and appreciate that. Absolutely. So much the things that you've learned and 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 taught are just unbelievable and so appreciated. And so, guess what? It's a minute and a half left, <laughs> so we have to tie it up. But I definitely want to thank you for coming on and helping open up the subject a little bit. Now, I, I, I want to you know show more of this to uh, to the people listening because I, the, I just think it's too important. And again, sometimes you just have to get sick with it in order to find it. And I'm glad to yeah. spread the word. I know you, I think you have been uh, sick with it as well. And I was. That's that probably was part how you... of my doorway into it, too. I, you know, Absolutely. I uh, was deeply affected by it in, in many ways. And it sort of opened my eyes because yeah. I didn't have the tools to understand it. Right. So having a research background, I was able to sort of apply that skill set yeah. uh, to the topic. And thank goodness the yeah. silver lining in all of this is, However complicated this all sounds, we've also been able to demonstrate there are relatively reliable treatment solutions now. And it's taken us a long time to get to that point. But if you think you're someone who's struggling with this illness, take heart because um, the knowledge and the clinical uh, development around the topic has matured and we're getting better and better at helping these people uh, recover their health and usually recover completely, which is extraordinary to see. It's almost a miracle. It is a miracle. Uh, But it is possible. And thank God for that. So thank you for bringing some hope to the end of this uh, huge discussion. And so for anybody who needs more information, it will be on drpbetterlife.com. That is uh, my website. And that has all the links to the platforms and YouTube and everything where you can uh, go back and watch this for you guys here on San Antonio Radio. Dr. Heyman, an honor. Thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. It's very important. We're glad you're doing it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time. Thank you, guys. You've been enjoying The Better Life with Dr. Marianne Pinkston. For more information, go to drpthebetterlife.com. That's drpthebetterlife.com. And listen next week for The Better Life with Dr. Pinkston. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.